It is a glorious day today, is it not? He is risen. Amen. That is a great promise and truth from our Lord Jesus. It's because of His resurrection that we have life and life to the full. Happy Easter. I'm grateful to be in His house this morning. We'll continue on our mini-series. If you weren't here with us last week, we talked about expectations and how often we place expectations on Jesus. If you remember from John chapter 12, we, we looked at uh, the, the crowd and how they, the crowd had placed expectations onto Jesus, that He was going to come and redeem them as the King, but He was going to be a conquering King that would liberate them from the Roman rule. And we looked at the disciples and their expectations of Jesus. And then we looked at the Pharisees and their expectations of Jesus. This morning we're going to look at expectations again. And when we look at expectations, the outline is this. What do we expect about the resurrection? First we'll look at, we want to see the proof of the resurrection. Then we'll move into the belief and the reality of the resurrection. And finally we'll talk about sharing the hope of the resurrection this morning. Have you ever been somewhere and are getting ready to go somewhere and had the expectation of what that place was going to look like? Whether it's vacation and uh, you get in, in your mind's eye and you have this idea of what that vacation or that place will look like and you build the hype, you build the expectation. Or, or maybe it's like this. Have you ever gone away from your house to eat dinner and then come home and notice things in your house ha- have been disrupted? Have you ever been robbed? You come home and you think to yourself, something is just off here. Like the chair is slightly moved. There's something missing in the kitchen. There's something moved in my bedroom. Well, that's what we're going to see that happened with Mary. Mary had this expectation that she was going to go to the tomb and see something, but when she arrived at the tomb, she saw something totally different. So let's read again John chapter 20. And think about Mary's expectation that morning. It says now the first day. If you've ever wondered why we come and we gather here on Sunday, this is the first day of the week. It started at the resurrection. Before the resurrection, the, the, the day that the Jews would celebrate the Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown um, on Saturday. That was their Sabbath. That was their day of uh, celebration. That was their day to gather and worship God. Well, the resurrection changed all that for us as believers. That's why we come and we gather on the first day. In 1 Corinthians it says this, now this is the Lord's day. Well, the Lord's day is because of the resurrection. That's just a side note. It was the first day of the week and Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early in the morning. Most scholars believe she left her house somewhere between three, uh, 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. I wonder if that day on Friday when she saw she was at she was at the death of Christ on the cross. She was one of the few people at the foot of the cross that day. It says in one of the other Gospels that she even followed them as they took Jesus' body off the cross and laid Him in this tomb. And she would have known the next day on the Sabbath day they were to do nothing. So I wonder for those 48 hours what Mary was thinking as she was preparing herself to go to the tomb. I wonder what her expectation was that morning. What she was hoping to see as she went to the tomb. We'll see what she was expecting. Her expectations were blown away. 
She was going to the tomb. It says, most scholars believe in another account that she went with spices to, to get the body ready for decay. The Jewish people didn't believe in cremation. They didn't be, believe in burial like the Egyptians. They believed to lay the body in a tomb, wrapped in clothes, but they would preserve the body with spices. So she's carrying somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds of spices to lay on the body of Jesus to preserve the body of Jesus for as long as possible. We know that Mary wasn't the only lady that day that went to the tomb. According to this gospel, it appears that way. You'll see in a moment she runs to the disciples and she says, we, there was a group of people that went. So she wasn't carrying, if you're wondering, how did one lady carry 100 pounds of spices? She wasn't the only one carrying spices that day. But they were all going to see Jesus. They all had this expectation of Jesus. And it says this, as she came to the tomb early in the morning, it was still dark. I want you to notice in this first ten verses, circle the word in your Bible four times, the word saw. So she saw the stone had been rolled away. Here, Mary is walking to the tomb of Jesus. She knew where the tomb was. She knew she had arrived at the right tomb, but she was there when they put that body in that tomb. It wasn't like, man, maybe I'm at the wrong burial site. No, she knew, she knew, she knew. This is where they laid Jesus. And I could just imagine her thinking and pondering along the way. What, what, what's, what, how am I going to, she says in another, in another gospel, how are we going to roll this stone away? We've got to get in there. It was still dark. So it took her a while to get close enough to the tomb to even see that the stone had been rolled away. And she saw. The word saw in the Greek is this. To look and to see. And she just barely peered at it. Just long enough to see something had been disturbed. Something was different. It says in this account she didn't go in. Her expectation when she walked to the tomb was to see a stone in front of the tomb and she was going to figure out how to move that stone away because she wanted to go inside the tomb. Well, we know what her expectation was dashed and then she began to assume what had happened in the tomb. You see, in that day, stealing from tombs was prevalent. And so she says she came to the tomb, she saw that the tomb had been rolled away or taken away and she ran. She didn't investigate. She didn't peer into the tomb. She didn't look around the tomb. She's completely wigged out from what she sees because her expectations that morning when she went to the tomb was to see a stone in front of it. She now sees a rolling stone away from an open tomb. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm running too. There's no way I'm going inside. Now, we're going to see two crazy brothers in a minute that go inside. I'm not going inside a tomb. Uh, I don't like going into cemeteries. I couldn't imagine going into a tomb that someone had just laid a body into. Anyone ever been into a morgue? That's freaky enough. But she runs. She sees something and she runs to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that John is talking about himself. He refers to himself throughout this gospel as the one who Jesus loved. So it's Peter and John. And she said they had taken our Lord out of the tomb 
We do not know where they have laid him. Somebody has stolen the body of Jesus is what she's saying. Something is not right here. Without remembering all the times that Jesus said, hey, on the third day I'll rise from the dead. Remember back from John chapter 12. Their expectation was not that he was going to rise from the dead. So she comes, she sees the empty tomb, and she turns around, she runs, she tells Simon Peter and John, and they take off running. Because their expectation, wait, 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 wait. Mary, you got to be wrong. Like your account, what you saw, like I know it's dark, like you got to be off. Let's, let's John and Peter, let, let us go check it out ourselves. Because they had an expectation that the stone was still going to be there as well. And I wonder how many of us have this expectation about Jesus that we wouldn't say, or we wouldn't really believe in the power of the resurrection. Let's keep going in the text. John is a little prideful and boastful. He says he takes off and he outruns Peter. That's just a little jab to Peter, I think, from uh, the account. It really has no bearing on whether who got there first or not. But Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb, but both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Verse 5, and stooping to look in. You see the progression already? Mary gets close enough to the tomb that she sees the stones rolled away and she turns and runs. Well, now John and Peter get close enough closer to the tomb that they can actually peer in. That's what that word means, to look and to peer into the tomb. They saw what Mary had seen. And then Peter finally catches up. Notice that John would not go into the tomb. No wonder. Peter would be the disciple to go into the tomb. Crazy Peter. Like He always reacts before he thinks. He always speaks before he thinks. So Peter just bolts in. It says this in verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen fall. The word saw there means in the text to wonder or to ponder something. He sees something. You know, we come and we talk about the celebration of the empty tomb. But it's what Jesus saw that was in the tomb. This is just a side note. The beauty of the tomb was that it wasn't empty that day. You see, every other tomb that you would go to would have two things in them. Bones and linen. Or if you go to a tomb that's been robbed, you're going to see nothing in the tomb. Like a robber's not going to come in and take all the linen cloths off the body. That's going to take too much time. They've got to get in and get out. They're just going to grab the body and run out of there. So I would propose to you this morning, it wasn't that wasn't in the tomb that they saw. It's what they did see in the tomb that they saw that morning. Hey, something's different about this tomb. Because there's still things in this tomb. That's what Peter is pondering and wondering. How could this be that those clothes are still laying there as if the body is there? Like these 
linen cloths, it says in a moment, are still in the shape of a body. You've got to think, Peter's looking in, like, wait, there's something missing. It looks like there should be a body there, but there's no body there. So I say to you this morning, thank God for the linen clothes that still remain in the tomb. That's what gives us hope. We'll see in a moment what happened to John. So Peter peers in, he saw the linen clothes. He began to ponder and began to wonder. And then he saw the face cloth that was lying there that had been on Jesus' head. It was folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the scene first, he finally goes in. And then it says he saw the same thing that Mary saw, the same thing that Peter saw, but that word saw is way different than the first two. That word saw means this. It means to see with comprehension and understanding. When John first gets to the tomb, he's clueless. He sees what's going on. And I wonder if when John stooped in, he saw, he kind of turned and sat his back on the tomb on the tomb and thought, what, what's happening? He begins to ponder what's happening. He, he says to himself, i got to get another look. Like, what did I really just see what I just saw? And then he goes in and sees what he knows he saws, and he says, he then, it says what? He believed in what he saw. And so I'd ask this question to you before we move on to the second point. Have you seen the proof of the resurrection. But here's my great fear. Have you seen the way Mary saw? She saw proof of the resurrection. She just didn't believe the proof that she saw. Do you believe the way Peter saw? He saw with his own two eyes the linen cloths, but he's still pondering and wondering, could this be so? So I wonder first, are you like Mary? You've seen it. Because Romans chapter 1 verse 19 says, all of us in here are without excuse. We've all seen the proof of the resurrection. That's what Romans 1.19 says. So no one in this room can say this morning, I haven't seen proof of the resurrection. If you woke up this morning, you saw with your own two eyes the proof of the resurrection. It's called his creation. What is it? led you to believe. You like Peter, you saw and you're still contemplating. There has to be a God, there has to be a Jesus. I'm just not sure that you this morning or are you like John this morning you see and you have believed. I want to point out how we come to a place of belief in the resurrection. It comes out of the following so they run, he sees and believes. And then it says this in verse 11. Have you believed in the reality of the resurrection? Somewhere in this process, Mary has come back to the tomb. She had run, remember it says she had run to find the disciples. They take off running, they outrun her. No telling what way they went back, but it says that Mary finally gets to the tomb again. She stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept and stooped and looked into the tomb. Again, saying, did this really happen? Is this really what's going on? Is this really my reality 
today? Is this really, is did the God of the universe through Jesus, is he really gone? Where's his body? What's going on? And she's weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. It's the, the same word that is used about Jesus when his friend Lazarus is dead. It's this, this groaning that's going on in her. It's an anguish in her that day. She wept at the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laid. One at the head and one at the foot. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned. She saw. The word saw again is to look at. She doesn't understand what she's looking at, what that word means. She turns, she sees the two angels in the tomb with the linen cloth. She's still confused. She turns around and there, who is standing in front of her? The risen Christ. But she doesn't recognize the risen Christ. Crazy. She turns. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And then I can hear Jesus say this to her. Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Think about the way that Christ must have said that with compassion. He's saying, Mary, what is wrong? What's going on? The compassionate Jesus, supposing him to be a gardener. She said to him, sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you raised him that day that I will go and take him away. And then Jesus says this. One word changed everything for, Jesus, for Mary that day. All he said to her after speaking, he'd already spoken to her. Catch that. This is not the first time she's going to hear the risen voice of her Savior. But what is it that she now recognizes when he says the next word? He says to her, Mary. Oh, man. Oh, Mary. And then it says she turned and she said, with an exclamation, with excitement, with jubilation. Rabboni, Rabboni. means rabbi, it means teacher, but it means higher than teacher. It means this supreme being, this supreme teacher. She recognized, how did she recognize who he was? Because he called her by name. You see, the only way that you and I will believe in the reality of the resurrection is this. You are not going to call Him by name. He calls you by name. And when He calls you by name, you recognize the risen Savior. You are not seeking Him. He is seeking you. He's calling you today by name. The risen Savior. What He says to us through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But thus says the Lord, who created you, who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I call you by name. What he says in John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
See, the only way for you and I to believe in the resurrection this morning is simply this. Have you been called by Him, by name, to follow Him? That's what changed everything for Mary that day. Jesus had already spoken to her, but when He said one simple four-letter word, Mary, she turned and said, Oh, great teacher. And then her response is this. She fell onto Jesus and she clung to Jesus. Jesus says, do not cling to me. You got to know something about Mary. You got to remember who Mary was. Tells us in the gospel that Mary was the woman that had been tormented for years and years and years by demons. I don't know if you've been like Mary. There's been some torment, some tragedy, some oppression in your life, but she had an experience with Jesus way back when, and Jesus had freed her from those demons, and so she knew that when she was called by Him by name, she had a freedom. And so, of course, when she went to the tomb, all that freedom was God had to be brewing through her mind. I remember what He did for me. I remember how He delivered me. I remember how He saved me. I, I remember all this about who Jesus was. And so, of course, she's going to the tomb hoping to see Jesus. And when she doesn't see Jesus, her whole hopes about the resurrection are dashed until He says, Oh, Mary. And then she falls and clings to Him. I wonder this this morning for us, church, on this Easter morning, are you still clinging to Jesus because you're reminded of all that He's done for you? in your salvation. Because if you and I remember how we've been saved from death to life, we will cling to Jesus. Amen? So are we clinging to Him on this Easter Sunday morning? The only way to know the reality of the resurrection and to believe is to be called by His name. But then I will share this with you. It cannot stop with seeing. It cannot stop with believing. It has to go further than for, for that for us, church. What does it say that she did in verse 18? Mary Magdalene went and announced. She announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and now I would ask and wonder for us, have we shared the hope of the resurrection? You see, her natural response was to cling to him. He said, do not cling to me, but go and tell my disciples. And her only response was to turn back and to run back to the disciples and share her experience of the hope of the resurrection. And so I ask you this. Have you seen and believed in Jesus? Because if you have, you will share the hope with everyone. It's the same idea as this. Used this illustration before, and I'll use it again this morning. I had all these hopes of marriage as a little boy. Probably not a little boy, more like a teenager, if I'm real honest. Those hopes began to increase through college. And then I met Jenny, the greatest gift outside of my salvation that I have ever experienced. 
And I remember dating her. I remember that experience and those expectations and, and those hopes. I had seen her. I began to believe, man, this is really who God has for me to marry. It took two years for this knucklehead to finally propose to her. But I, the day of our proposal, I could not wait to share my hope in my marriage. It was 10.30 at night, and I was calling people and waking them up. I did not care. I remember when Tennyson was born. I was so excited to see her and believe her and then hold her in my arms. I couldn't wait to tell people about that experience in Cedar as well. And so we've all had these experiences that we've seen and we believe that we've also shared. But my greatest fear is you've seen and believed in Christ, but you have not shared the greatest gift with those who are still wondering about this resurrection. She ran and told the disciples about what she had saw. She believed in the reality of the resurrection and she shared the hope. And it's what Jesus says to his disciples. Just a few moments later, when he says to them the same thing, now that you have seen, go and tell. Peace be with you as the Father, now I send you. What is he going and sending them to do? To share the message of the resurrection. You see, we gather here on an Easter morning, this resurrection, but every day for us is the resurrection. We have seen and we believe and we must share the hope of the gospel with those whose eyes still have not seen and who they have not yet heard their name be called by him. God wants to use you and God wants to use me to call them by name, to redeem them and set them free the way he has set you free. Will you take on that adventure and that challenge and more importantly, that call of obedience to go and proclaim the gospel message and to call people by name so that they'll hear about the resurrected King. Amen? That is why we come this morning. We'll come now to the Lord's table as a reminder of this body that was broken and blood that was shed, but as more important as a body that's been raised from the dead and all that remains in the tomb is linen cloth. Do you believe that about the reality of the resurrection? This is way more than some piece of cracker and a little bit of juice. This is a reminder not to our minds, but to our hearts of the reality of the resurrection that give us hope and life today. I would plead with you this morning. If you do not know Christ this morning, this table is not for you. Paul tells us in Corinthians, if you come to this table in an unworthy manner, an unworthy manner is this, that you have not been called by His name and you have not responded to His name, that you would do that before you come to this table. If this morning you place your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, then come to the table. There's no better day than this morning if Jesus, do you hear your name as you sit in the pew being called by Christ? For those of us that have been called by it, him by our name, we come to this table as a reminder of all that Christ did for us. I'll invite the deacons to come forward and I pray.
over the most sacred, holiest meal that we'll partake in today. I know your mom has probably cooked a good meal, but I promise this, there's no greater meal that sits before us this morning. Christ Jesus, I'm grateful for your resurrection this morning, this Easter Sunday. And I pray for those. If there's anyone here that's still just simply looking and seeing the way Mary and Peter did, that you would, in this moment, quicken their hearts. You'd call them by name. And you'd allow them to respond the way John responded, with an understanding and a comprehension about the reality of the resurrection. For you in this room that do not know Christ as your Savior, this is the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection shows us that there was a death that had to be paid for you. There was a payment for your sins, is what the Apostle Paul said. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He made a payment for you on that Good Friday and stamped it with finality on Easter Sunday. If you have not received Him as your Lord and Savior this morning, I would plead with you, listen closely to the soft heart of the Holy Spirit calling you by name. Come to me. Come to me. For I have redeemed you and I call you by name and you are His this morning once you place your faith and hope and trust in Him. And God, for us that are like John, that we see, we comprehend, and we understand, we come to this table. I pray that this will be a reminder of the greatest sacrifice that's ever been given. And when we take this bread and we take this juice this morning, that we couldn't help but to share the same way that Mary shared that day. Our Lord is risen and I have seen Him. You are a gracious and kind God. A good God. A giving God. You gave your only son on Good Friday. By his power, he rose from the dead. He calls us by name to be redeemed and set free from the bondage of slavery and sin. Let us remember that freedom because of our broken body, blood spilled out for us in this great and glorious day, Easter Sunday.